Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, y'all, it's Marianne. And it's Anna Jane. We have a quick update for y'all. We are just back from the People's Climate March in D.C. where we took to the streets with 200,000 of y'all marching and podcasting. We interviewed new and old friends alike and even met some of our listeners, which was amazing. It was so amazing. Shout out listeners that we met and that put pictures up on Twitter. It was so cool. Uh, So we're going to take all those interviews and put together a special March episode that we cannot wait to share with you soon. So stay tuned and you might even hear yourself on the podcast. And in the meantime, we have another amazing episode for you. This episode of No Place Like Home is brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join Sierra Club's 3 million members and supporters who are working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. And now, on to this episode of No Place Like Home. Hi, I'm Mary Ann Hitt. And I'm Anna Jane Joyner. This is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. Today, we'll be talking about taking care of ourselves in these hard times and have a great interview with Nellis Kennedy Howard, the Sierra Club's Director of Equity, Inclusion, and Justice. We talk about standing rocks, spirituality, and why we can't leave our identities at the door when we do our climate work. But first, Marianne and I have some catching up to do. Anna Jane, how are you? I'm good. You know, I'm digging the spring weather. There are birds outside. Life is feeling more bright and hopeful <laughs> these spring days. It makes a big difference, I will tell you. And my daughter uh, was born in the spring, so I always have this like really magical time when it's sort of the world feels like it wakes up and it's birthday parties and I get reminded of the amazing experience of becoming a mom. So happy spring to you. Oh, likewise. I love that. Yeah. So I've been like kind of obsessing over <laughs> this weird thing that I read about yesterday and kind of epiphany that it gave me. But I tell I me more. <laughs> tell me more. I can't I wait to hear about it. It's it's interesting. So Basically, there's this ancient Japanese art form where they take broken pottery and put it back together using gold or silver, but kind of influencing the cracks. And there's this whole like spirituality around it, around like, like trying to like fill the cracks with beauty, but still acknowledging there's cracks. And I love that. I I know, right? It like totally, it's like one of those, I feel like my my mother calls them like divine moments. Maybe I'd call them serendipitous moments. But when I came across it, it just like really sunk to me. And I think it's because like, honestly, like I've been feeling really broken the past couple of months. And I think that that's, I don't know, I feel like a lot of us <laughs> were very traumatized by the election. And I just, you know, I just moved from New York City to Alabama. I also am in this like career transition where I'm not doing like a typical nine to five where there's like a very set direction and accountability and team and it's very on me to kind of manifest this this thing, this work that I want to do in the world. And, you know, it's also it's 
like I'd planned this sort of sabbatical after the election because I've been working very hard the past couple of years and wanted mm-hmm. to kind of dive deep and think about the work that I want to do in the world and in the person I want to be. But what that actually meant, <laughs> because Trump won, is that I had a lot of time to sit around and kind of despair, frankly. And, you know, and I think that was there was, you know, that was kind of layered on top of, of the fact that my father was advocating for this monster who's trying to usher in the apocalypse and climate change being a like massive problem that we're like still haven't figured out how to like deal with and like it just felt it you know it was very existential and and one of the moments in my life where I just felt broken like I actually Uh, couldn't just function as a human being (laughs) I bet a lot of people could relate to that to be honest I think I don't think People are talking about it as much because everybody just wants to be out there raising their fists and being strong. Um, But I bet a lot of people are feeling that way. I think so, too. And it's like I feel like we have I have a lot of like conversations with individuals where there it is a, a shared sense for sure. But also I feel like we put on this kind of performance and and it goes beyond just like the past few months. I think it's a very kind of American trait where we're so we so emphasize success and achievement that we forget that we actually like there's very human dimensions to it that we can't just leave behind. And and our next guest, like Nellis tells this very powerful and hard personal story about how, you know, a moment where that came through for her life. But I feel like for me, it's like the one thing that I've always felt really good about and strong about is my, is my activism and like being a successful activist and doing good work in the world and fighting for this thing that matters. And all of a sudden, for the first time in a long time, I can't remember, like, I couldn't do it. You know, like, there were, like, literally weeks where I just couldn't get out of bed. And and I think that that was a, it was a really, really hard and disorienting thing. But I also feel like it forced me to ask some really important questions and to recognize some important truths about the world. Like, the truth is, like, we can't. Like, we can't put this world back together again. <laughs> like, we can't create a, a perfect, like, porcelain plate. And I can't create a perfect porcelain life because my life is complicated. But I can maybe fill the cracks with gold. And That is so beautiful. I love that. Oh, my God. And, and uh, there's a lot of cracks right now. And I think people are... People are just seeing the cracks and not that opportunity. What does that mean to you to fill them with gold? You know, I really think like it, it, it means it, like on a personal and also like bigger level, I think it means admitting our vulnerability. And like, just like, like I was reading this like amazing Franciscan priest um, was on, was on Chris Tibbetts podcast on being. And he had this whole like, like he does this workshop and the first thing that they recognize, which is also something that ironically AA does is like, we're kind of powerless in some ways. And like, I think that that's, I mean, which it sounds like ironic for activists <laughs> to say that, because obviously we want to emphasize our agency and power, but there is something that was almost liberating and recognizing that like, I can't fix this. Like there, like there, like I can help, I can try, but it's not just pretending like we can create perfect porcelain pottery. I think it's recognizing that there are cracks and like the best we can do is try to fill them with something beautiful. And I think you and I both look to these sort of 
spiritual wise people to help us fill in the cracks with gold. I think that's what a lot of our spiritual traditions are about, you know, is how to help us do that because it is part of life. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm so excited to share this interview with Nellis, who really inspired me and I think just holds so much wisdom for, for our work and you know, yes. for our lives. So let me say a word about her before we go to the interview. Um, she uh, works with me at the Sierra Club, used to be with the Beyond Coal campaign, now as our director of equity, inclusion, and justice, which means she is trying to help transform the Sierra Club into a more an organization more centered on justice. Um, and she uh, had been to Standing Rock, uh, which is one of the reasons that we wanted to talk with her. And I wanted to give listeners a quick update on that in case you haven't been following it, that um, unfortunately, the the pipeline that the uh, that the Standing Rock Sioux were opposing uh, at the the camp, the Dakota Access Pipeline, uh, unfortunately, has been completed, and there is oil flowing through it. And so, when we talk about those cracks, that's a big one. I think that's a huge heartbreak to a lot of people. Uh, the tribe is still fighting the pipeline in court, and so they're. The fight continues, um, and I think the spirit of the camp and the work that was done there very much continues. Um, but that uh, that is the sort of the update on the kind of newsy side of, of that issue. Um, and then a couple other quick things I wanted to flag for listeners. One is, uh, well, two things specifically on the same sort of the cracks that we're trying to fill <laughs> with something beautiful. Uh, one is that the new EPA chief um, uh, is out there visiting coal mines and polluted neighborhoods and proclaiming the EPA is going to this back to basics agenda of protecting our clean air and clean water. But in reality, they have started taking actions to roll back things like our smog standards. They want to make the smog standards weaker for everyone in the country. Um, And they are trying to roll back a standard that is keeping um, millions of tons of toxic water pollution from coal-fired power plants out of our drinking water. They're trying to roll that back. So so uh, those are going to be things where there's public involvement opportunities. Please um, help us get involved, a comment, and and uh, you can go to the sierraclub.org uh, for more information. And then the second thing briefly is, uh, is by the time uh, you all are listening to this, the process is going to have started in Congress of creating a budget. And that is where the rubber is going to hit the road of things you've been hearing about in the news, like cuts to the EPA, uh, drilling in the Arctic refuge, paying for the border wall. All of those decisions are going to come up through this process in May, June, July, uh, over trying to create a budget in the Congress. And so keep calling uh, and keep following those issues. We will help and support you at the Sierra Club and being involved. Uh, but that is that is happening in earnest, and it's a new chapter in this this era. So, a lot of cracks out there that we uh, are tending and trying to fill in with gold for sure. Amen. It is a true story. Thank you for that beautiful story and for sharing that. I think that's a great way to to step into this beautiful conversation with uh, Nellis Kennedy Howard, which is coming up right after this. Hello, my name is Amber Grace Joyner and I live in Asheville, North Carolina and your dinner party climate fact for today is the overall daily water temperature of the Gulf of Mexico never fell below 73 degrees this winter for the first time on record. Meteorologists are worried these record warm temperatures will fuel more intense severe weather activity in the coming months.
This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So uh, let me start off uh, for our listeners with a little bit of an introduction. So Nellis uh, is with the Sierra Club, and she is currently the director of our work to uh, advance the Sierra Club's work on justice and equity, and it's uh, some of the most important and emerging and challenging work we are doing in the Sierra Club that I hope we'll get to talk about. Uh, But prior to that, she worked within the Beyond Coal campaign, uh, overseeing our work in some southwestern states. And prior to that was director of Honor the Earth, which is uh, a Native American environmental organization that's uh, been around for a long time and has done some great work uh, with the leadership of Nellis, Winona LaDuke, and others. So Nellis has a great track record of leadership and is also uh, a wonderful person and a wonderful colleague, and I'm so happy to have you on. And the thing that inspired us to have you on the podcast was... um, blog post that you wrote about the women of Standing Rock and your experience being there and being uh, in that place with and seeing the leadership of those women. And since that has been so much in the news and I think so much in a lot of people's hearts, I'd love if we could start uh, with um, just uh, if you want to reflect back on on that post and on, on what it was like to be there, because I think so many people have watched it from the news, but not a lot of people have had the privilege of walking the land and being with the people and really feeling what, like what it felt like to be in that place. Definitely. Yeah, thank you uh, for the introduction. I was honored to be able to visit Standing Rock uh, several months ago to meet with different leaders who are out there um, who were working to push back against the Dakota Access Pipeline that was um, threatening the land of the um, Standing Rock Sioux people to protect their water, to stop the pipeline. Um, and really the, the entire um, event really sparked off a global movement of indigenous resistance to protect tribal sovereignty and to fight back against this, this country's history of treating tribal reservations as energy sacrifice zones. Over 200 tribes came together from across the world to unite in their support of tribal sovereignty and self-determination, which is um, not entirely unheard of, but I've never seen it in my lifetime. And I felt a strong calling to go out there as a Native woman to demonstrate my support and solidarity with the tribe and with the people who are out there um, to push back against this. And um, it was a really incredible time to meet the people who were making all of it possible, to make the camp possible. It was a beautiful moment. And um, really, I think it's only just a small taste of tribal and indigenous resistance. Um, you can see different different types of events that have spun off because of Standing Rock Sioux. In Utah, tribes are vowing to fight back against efforts from Trump Republicans to undesignate the Bears Ears National Monument. monument. The Tohono O'odham tribe has vowed to fight the wall um, that Trump threatens to build by whatever means necessary. It's a really incredible time. I also saw the Northern Cheyenne have, uh, I think, filed suit in, uh, in court to oppose the proposed lifting of the moratorium on coal leasing from uh, public land, which was put in place during the Obama years. And, um, and then 
uh, was was unfortunately lifted very soon after Trump took office by the new Interior Secretary. And I mean, do you think this is uh, kind of a new emergence of of leadership, or uh, or is it just something that maybe uh, wasn't getting enough attention before, but has been part of the fabric of our of environmental advocacy all along? Definitely both. I think that um, this type of leadership has always existed, but it's being lifted up in a new way. Uh, One of the challenges that Native people suffer is um, from being underrepresented and voices not being heard. Um, Too many people, sometimes even the big green groups, taking up too much space in a room um, and not allowing other folks to to, um, highlight their experiences. So I think that this type of leadership has always existed. It is getting more attention than it has as perhaps in other areas and in years past. But at the same time, it's also inspiring new generations of Native people to um, rise up and to begin their own leadership journey of what does it look like. Um, ultimately, the decision to overturn President Obama's order for an environmental impact statement and to go ahead with the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline will go in the books as one of the quickest actions a president has ever taken to threaten Native lands and to put Native peoples at risk for the profit of big corporations. And this won't um, this won't happen without a lot of people standing up to say this is this is not okay. This cannot be accepted. And Native people um, are being inspired by it. Allies are being inspired by it and um, being more vocal. Um, I had the great privilege of going out to the Northwest and uh, speaking at an event of all of the tribes at the North, uh, all the tribes of the Northwest in opposition to a proposed coal export terminal that would have been in the treaty protected fishing grounds of the Lummi Nation. And I prepared my remarks and they were about the fish and the water and all the things that environmentalists talk about all the time. And I gave an overview of them to the the leaders of the Lummi Nation before the event. And they specifically asked me to talk about tribal tribal sovereignty. And they specifically asked me to talk about, does the word of the United States government mean anything or not? And I think as a white person that uh, tribal sovereignty is sort of a concept that I didn't really understand until that interaction. And I expect a lot of our listeners don't either. And we've even had our new interior secretary sort of offhandedly say this is one of his top priorities. uh, And it probably means something different to him than it means to you. So could you just talk a little bit more about about that and how fundamental it is and how it intersects with uh, our climate and environmental work that we need to do? Absolutely. It's always a a big topic. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I went to law school so many years ago was to better understand and advocate for the rights of tribal nations, um, because that's what they are, is nations. Um, And that's what tribal sovereignty means, is the ability to govern for oneself, to govern land and resources, um, air and water. And that's a big component of why... um, It's a big part of why the Dakota Access Pipeline received the attention that it did is because the impacts that were happening both on um, historic tribal lands and off historic tribal lands would have significant impacts to the people who are there um, on the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation and the ability of the Standing Rock Sioux government to be able to to control and to um, have the ability to um, voice their concerns to um, to govern themselves about what will impact uh, their people. And that's a big part of um, being uh, tribal nations and, and sovereignty is the ability to have that autonomy to be able to self-govern. 
Yeah, it's, it seems like something that a lot of Americans don't know enough about and should be a very core part of our American History 101. So I really appreciate that that information and clarity. And I'm actually, I'm curious about a related issue that you have a lot of insight on. So basically over the past, like, you know, five to 10 years, the environmental movement has, and the Sierra Club has been an incredible leader in this, in this way, has really started taking a more intersectional and um, kind of approach to this work. So it's not just about conservation or environmental protection, but we have to address issues of injustice and oppression and um, everything from, you know, tribal sovereignty to Black Lives Matter to, you know, even today I was, the Sierra Club was doing some great tweeting around equal pay and women's rights. And to me, I think it makes a lot of sense because a lot of environmental issues are directly related to issues of oppression. But I was, I was just curious if you could speak more to how to navigate really having a more inclusive approach to this work without like, you know, diluting the issues you know, the issues of environmental protection. Like, how do you, I know there's been like, that conversation's been happening for years and I'd love to hear your input on it. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Um, It's amazing the ways that one thing can impact another and the ways that systematic um, oppression overlap and build off of one another. Um, I recently wrote a blog that I encourage you to take a look at if you haven't already. Um, The title of the blog, I believe, is um, There Is No Getaway From My Own Identity. And it was uh, a few weeks ago that my wife and I um, celebrated my birthday. (laughs) And we went to... um, uh, I really enjoy birthdays. It should be a national holiday, in my opinion. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> they should be weeks. They should be weeks, not days. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And so we went, uh, we decided to go surfing, take a surf lesson for my birthday. And we got a group of people together, friends, um, some some of the people from Sierra Club that I work with. And we went to a city, a California city called Morro Bay. And we were there in Morro Bay, and we took our surf lesson. We were camping. It was a camping getaway to get, you know, get out so to do exactly what this Sierra Club mission wants us to do, right, is to explore, enjoy um, the natural environment. And so we were out. We had a great day of surfing. We had been camping the night before and looking at shooting stars. It was really fantastic. And after our surf lesson, we decided that we didn't want to make dinner back at camp. We decided instead that we wanted to go into town and um, enjoy dinner um, out in out in the town because we were just too exhausted. And so we we went out to dinner and it was fun. We had dinner and there was live dancing at the place that we went to, a little bitty restaurant. And we sat down. We had our food. We started dancing. And maybe three songs went by, and the band leader. Um, started calling out comments to us, making comments about my wife and I and others who identify as LGBTQ in our party, um, making comments about uh, something about forcing your lifestyle, shoving it in our faces, um, threatening threatening their values, something or other. But the entire restaurant stopped uh, for the band leader to make these comments. And it took us two seconds to go to, to go back to our table. We started walking back to our table, and the band leader actually got down off of the stage and followed one of our couples out to our table and started yelling and screaming and started saying some really crude anatomical yeah. remarks. And um, I, I approached the manager, letting them know how offended we were, and the manager in no uncertain terms said that if we were uncomfortable, we could leave. 
At which point, many of the patrons in the restaurant actually started walking up to the band leader to say thank you for such a great set. It was a fantastic time until it was ruined by them. Wow. And this is in California where, you know, I live in West Virginia. Anna Jane lives in Alabama. So I think we just assume no one in California (laughs) acts that way anymore. Yeah. So you think about it was a weekend getaway to go camping and to enjoy the outdoors to um, take a surf lesson. And I couldn't even do that without having my own identity being put at the stake to be criticized. And so the intersectionality of these issues, of it's not just a matter of exploring and protecting or um, working to advocate for the conservation of the environment. All things are connected. And you can't enjoy one thing without another. And it's reasons like that why, why Sierra Club demonstrates solidarity with the movement for Black Lives and other similar groups and similar issues. Thank you for sharing that. I, I just feel like it is our personal stories that really drive these things home. Um, and thank you. That was that was a really sad story, but I think it's you know obviously important for people to hear and um, and also happy birthday. I hope you didn't let that ruin your <laughs> epic birthday weekend. Uh, thank you. We had a great time. Good. Um, yeah, like I, Mary, Marianne and I are both obsessed with this podcast called um, S Town or Shit Town, and it's about. Um, I don't know if you've heard it or not. It, it's pretty. It just came out last week, but it's about this man from a small Alabama town, and it, it, he's a climate activist, which is or advocate in his own kind of very unique and strange way. But he's also a queer man, being you know who was born into a very small town in Alabama and he's uh, you know wrestles with a lot of other issues but basically what really struck me about that story was how it was such you know his concern for the climate was very interrelated to other you know other parts of his identity and his experience and and it wasn't like you could just take one out and it really got me thinking about how do we have these more kind of holistic conversations versus trying to like take our you know our concern for the climate or or away from these other parts of our lives that are very interconnected. So I think um, your story is another great example. I'm really glad the Sierra Club is, is, is wrestling with how to do that in a more holistic way. It's an exciting time for the organization. We definitely, for all of the, the progress that we make, we also still do a lot of harms, but we're a learning organization. We're committed to learning and increasing our education, our understanding, our skills to better be the allies and co-conspirators that we can be um, to work with a number of groups uh, to lift up voices that aren't being heard, to fight back against oppression um, wherever we see it, and to create an inclusive community at Sierra Club that all people who share our values feel that they can be a part of. And Nellis, I know you are <clears throat> you are at the forefront of all of that work in the Sierra Club, and I think it's some of the hardest work that we are doing because we are very we, we've been around a long time, and uh, it's hard for a very old, very predominantly white organization to evolve. Uh, and I am very grateful to you for your leadership in that. Um, and I expect that probably when you started on your journey with Honor the Earth, this is maybe not where you thought you would end up. <laughs> so I wonder if you could uh, take us a few steps back and uh, and sort of how how you first stepped into environmental advocacy as a calling in your life personally, and then how how you decided to make that step from being a leading uh, 
advocate in the Beyond Coal campaign to deciding to take on what is, I think, a equal if not bigger challenge of uh, of helping the environmental movement to evolve. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So it was um, several years ago, I won't, won't say how many, but it was several years ago that I was in law school and I was reading a um, legal textbook and um, I was reading a, about a case that happened and my tribe's name showed up in, in the text, uh, the Navajo Nation. And um, for those who don't know, if, you're, if your tribe's name shows up in a legal textbook, <laughs> it's not always the best thing. <laughs> Oftentimes that means that um, it might be another instance of where the federal government has infringed on the rights of tribal nations. And so I was reading about this, this case that had happened, and I, I started to um, connect some dots of where I read about um, an accident that occurred on my family's reservation um, most people know the country's most lar- the country's largest radioactive spill as Three Mile Island, and that's actually not the case. There was a uranium spill that happened on my family's reservation back in the '70s called the Church Rock Uranium Mill um, spill, and it was um, an instance where there there's lots of uranium. Um, reserves underneath the Navajo Nation. In fact, it's one of the largest sources of uranium in the world. Um, And they used to do a lot of uranium mining on my my reservation. And uh, back in the 70s, there was a uranium mill where the tailings dam had broken. And um, the secondary tailings dam had broken. And the tailings dam is really the place of where you get all the byproducts from uranium mining, really radioactive materials that are held back by this dam. And the secondary dam broke. And all of the tailings spilled out into the Puerco River on my um, family's reservation and um, contaminated the water. And um, water 80 miles away was tested for radioactivity levels that were multiple times over the radioactivity level of drinking water um, that was possible, the country's largest radioactive spill. And I started reading about this, and I thought, I've never heard of this. And I started looking at where it happened, and it's just less than a dozen miles of where my mom grew up back in the 70s. I had no idea. And I started started collecting oral stories from family, uh, asking, asking them about this. I called my mom. I said, did you know that this happened? She said, I knew something happened, but I don't really know. I don't really know what it was. I started talking to my 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 um, some of the elders in the community, asking them about it, and they're saying, "Oh yeah, the water ran yellow." They remembered when kids would would walk through the water and their skin would burn. Um, they remember butchering livestock, um, cattle, and sheep, and that their intestines would be yellow and they'd be dying. And um, I got really upset. Um, I got really upset because I had never heard about it, that I had to go to law school to learn about the country's largest radioactive spill that happened less than a dozen miles from where my mother grew up. And I started to connect the, started to connect the dots of why my mother had fought thyroid cancer twice in her life, thyroid cancer being immediately linked to radioactivity levels. Mm. And it made me upset. And it was around that time that I decided that this was too important, that it wasn't fair, that it was completely unjust for families like mine to experience such devastation and for there still not to be adequate cleanup. Um, 
I mean, they're, 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 it's, it's literally millions of dollars, if not billions, of how much uh, it would take to clean up the, the reservation to restore it to what it once was, and it hasn't been done. Uh, it's fallen far short. And so since then, um, I decided that it was important for me to advocate for my family, for my relatives, um, to lift up the voices of, of other tribal groups and leaders and uh, families who whose voices haven't been heard. And I received certificates in federal Indian law and also in natural resources law. And I made my way out to uh, the White Earth, Reserva- White Earth Reservation to work with Winona LaDuke at the organization called Honor the Earth, which works to push back against um, fossil fuel uh, uranium extractive industries that are devastating tribal lands and treating them as um, sacrifice zones. Uh, what what should we be looking for as we go forward in this Trump era, um, as we kind of re- uh, want to support that Native American environmental leadership? Um, and what do you think we should, uh, what do you think are maybe a couple of lessons that the climate movement would do well to learn from what has passed? Absolutely. I think it all starts with a willingness to learn and to educate oneself, to recognize that the burden of education shouldn't fall on people of color to educate white folks about um, Native issues or Native rights, but that it's really up to um, up to folks to learn more uh, on their own of, about, about how to be allies, how to be supporters. Um, and really, there's something that each of us can do from home to make a difference in the international fight against pipelines pipelines, we can shift the trillions of dollars individuals and private institutions have invested in fossil fuels towards 100% clean energy by taking action with your own money, um, stopping businesses with big banks that finance destructive fossil fuel projects like the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, Big banks like Wells Fargo have invested nearly $4 billion to fund the construction of the, the pipeline, and you can help us tell them that we will not allow them to endanger communities, violate indigenous rights, and fund the climate crisis. Ultimately, whatever you do, don't be silent. Um, there, you'll make mistakes along the way about how to be a good partner, but that doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't try. That is great advice and some great parting words. And Nellis, thank you so much for taking the time. I am honored to call you a friend and a colleague and a, a partner in this grand project of making the world a better place. And uh, we're, we're very lucky to have you both at the Sierra Club and on the podcast. Thank Thank you you. so much, Nellis. It was absolutely wonderful to connect with you. And I just can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing. Likewise. Thank you. All right. That just about does it for us. Marianne and I want to thank you so much for listening. And huge thanks to our interview guest, Nellis Kennedy Howard. She has an awesome blog that you should totally check out. We'll put it in our show notes. Our theme music is by River Wireless. This episode was produced by the phenomenal Zach Mack, who admits he actually feels paralyzed by climate change, but he still believes we can make a difference or he wouldn't be doing this podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes and please do leave us a review. This really helps us get the word out. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and we'll be posting all our episodes, information, updates on our Twitter page. So please follow us there check it out. We're at NPLH podcast. If you like our show or have any questions, comments, suggestions, or would like to be part of it by reading a dinner party climate fact for an upcoming episode, tweet at us. Again, we're at NPLH podcast. 
And remember, there is no place like home.